This is the Author Archive podcast. Today, Maggie G. Uh, 20 years ago, she published a book called The White Family. It's quite a brave book because it's about prejudice and racism. It was reprinted last year. It's still very much current. When I met her to talk about the book, I asked her if she set off with the idea to to sell a message, to preach a bit. I think it never works to start out with a message. I think you have to write from, from your human characters. And that's the way I envisage this book, as a story about a family. But the white family who are um, with a man with the old dad who works in Albion Park. You know, the names give you clues, don't they? Oh, yes. And the book was partly inspired by the murder of Stephen Lawrence. But nevertheless, I think why um, race is interesting is because our attitudes to it are so complex and contradictory and sometimes quite funny. And so you can't really preach about it. I mean, everyone knows the theory, but novels aren't about theory. They're about real live people that you have to make your readers care about. Yes. but. Yeah, but you write about it so that even those things which are not politically correct to think, you put them in the context and, and they become understandable, even if not supportable. Absolutely. I think nobody stopped being racist by being told to shush. I think you have to understand the deep causes that these things come from. And in a way, it's got so that um, books, in a way, are very unwilling even to show people with racist attitudes, whereas they're out there and they must be understood. And in a way, they have their point. It often comes from a lack of understanding, but it has an emotional truth for them. And I've tried to write partly through those characters. The book starts um, with the old man who's been a park keeper. You don't have park keepers much these days, do you? Alfred. Well, we had a, a wonderful local park keeper in Brent, and I admire park keepers because they look after a little patch of beautiful ground and they make it as good as they can. So to me, he's a kind of an emblematic figure, a sort of hero, but with very mixed, um, mixed blessings as a person, I think, Alfred. Yeah, and at the beginning of the book, I mean, park keepers are always the ones telling you not to do something, aren't they? Yes, and Alfred wants people not to walk on the grass. And he has a big row with a black family because they go onto the grass to get a child's toy plane. He doesn't see the toy plane and tells them off. And it, the word racist gets thrown out and it lies there like an unexploded bomb. And Alfred falls down, apparently having had a stroke. Though later we find it's a bit more complicated than that. An event. An event, yes. Yeah. Um, and Alfred has got a, a wife who, she's got a lot, she's got a lot of positive qualities. She's a bit, yes. proud, is she a bit sort of mousy? Well, no, I think she's, uh, May is in a way a lovely woman. She adores her husband. She loves her kids, though she's not been a particularly good mother. She loves poetry. She's a bit of a coward. Alfred is a very strong father and uh, possibly a violent husband sometimes. She loves him, but she can't control him. And when the going gets tough, May usually steps into the background and has a quiet smile or thinks of some poetry. So I don't think she's mousy, but I think she's not a very strong character through fear. And fear is one of the big themes of this book because I think most hatred comes from fear. Yeah, she's an escapist because she escapes into literature and she does escape into good literature, doesn't she? She's yes, she uh, loves Tennyson, she loves poetry and 
and in a way Alfred Tennyson is her other lover. Alfred White, her husband, is um, not a very imaginative man in lots of ways and so Alfred Tennyson is her escape. But she also used to escape into the movies, didn't she? She loved the movies? Yes, I think she was a romantic and it's maybe harder to be a romantic when you're in your 70s but May holds on to her little bit of private space and I think that private world of May's is a softer, dreamier thing than some other parts of the novel and quite important really. Yeah, but even the names she gives her children are reflections of film. They're, they're given f sort of film names. Yeah, she calls her, her unfortunate youngest son who doesn't have film star looks at all, she calls Dirk after Dirk Bogart. Um, her eldest son is Darren, I'm not sure who Darren was named after, and Shirley, her beautiful creamy daughter, is named after Shirley Temple. And always looks like a film star, but of course being a child film star isn't so easy, as isn't so hard as being an adult. And the grown-up Shirley has had a lot to cope with, losing children and dealing with her father when she marries first a Ghanaian Kojo and secondly lives with an Afro-Caribbean guy, Elroy and her father and her brother reject her because of that. I mean, and, mm. and, and Alfred says things that you can't say like, couldn't you find a normal man or something? Couldn't you find a normal man? Yes, and to him that's a perfectly, that's a perfectly normal thing for Alfred to say because he's, he's from that generation who I think they went through the war, they suffered a lot and a lot of things happened to them that they couldn't control and one of the things he couldn't control was the change of his area from a working class white area to a very mixed area and so all he feels is I don't want it, it's different, this is what I know, this is what I stick to. So he's not a wicked man, he's got his own sense of values but he hasn't really understood the world he's living in now. Yes, because there's a lot of resistance to change, isn't there? Yes, um, and Shirley is full of, I, she's a very sexy woman, she's a very loving woman, and she embraces change and lives with it. How about Darren? The, he's superficially the successful one, isn't he? Yeah, Darren. Darren goes off to the United States and becomes, in theory, a very left-wing journalist, and he's the man of the people, Darren, but in fact, when we see him, he's very arrogant. We first meet him when he's making a scene in the um, canteen at the hospital and being very rude to the black woman who's working behind the counter, so he's an ironised figure, really, and I suppose he, he does, I mean, there is something about some radical journalists who become extremely successful, and we don't really feel they've got much human sympathy for the people that he's left behind, and he's really left behind his own parents. Yeah. And Forgotten how to love them or care about them, I think. And even when Alfred's in, in bed in hospital and, and Darren comes, and, and Alfred looks up and says, your writing's changed a bit, son, hasn't it? You know, yeah. Yes, Alfred, um, Alfred notices that Darren's, Darren's writing has stopped being indignant. It's lost that quality of indignation, which Alfred, as a fiery old man, rather liked. Um, but Darren's whole life really has been escaping from his father. And there's a very important confrontation between Darren, the grown-up son, and the father. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, because a lot of grown-up children find they really have to stand up to their parents before they can become adults themselves. So he's not a very likeable character, but in some ways one can have sympathy with him, I think. And then you come to Dirk, who's got a big chin, and, and, and Alfred's got a big nose, and, he, and he's got the nose. 
So, not a good-looking lad. No, Dirk gets them both, so he's a bit of a Mr Moon. He's got the nose and the chin, I think, and uh, he... That's yeah, Mr not Punch. Mr Punch, yes, but he's got this gorgeous blonde hair which makes everyone look at him, and they kind of look at him and then turn away. So Dirk, Dirk is not loved enough by his mum, I think, that's the bottom line. And then he goes on not to be loved really by anyone else. Um, and what the book hints is that he's gay, but he's never come out. And I suppose I tend to think that sex to me is a very good thing and the opposite of sex, repressed sex, can be violence and that's what happens with Dirk. He's got nothing really, he's not got a good job, he hasn't got a love life, his parents don't really like him and he turns into one of these hopeless youths who've got nothing to do but blame everything on other groups and so he becomes a, a National Front sympathiser and a very dangerous man to have around. Yes, horrible. He just doesn't like women, does he? He doesn't like blacks, he doesn't like Pakis, he doesn't like, and he doesn't like women. He doesn't. Actually, in order to sort of separate himself, to separate him a bit from my, myself, I did try and make him comic sometimes. I think he's, I mean his total lack of understanding of everything to be funny. I mean, there has to be something completely hopeless and comic about someone who doesn't know the difference between Indians and Pakistanis. And talking about Indians says, all Pakis are poofs, when he's a repressed gay himself. So in a way, I mean the readers to laugh at Dirk. Although there's a side of him which can't be laughed at because it's too frightening. Yeah, uh, but because the book is written in various people's voices, um, when you write Dirk, uh, I mean, the swear words flow, it's all crisp and sort of attitude and sort of pathetic attitude. Yeah. You have to get yourself up in a certain frame of mind to do that. Um, no, you just have to remember a lot of what you've heard on the streets, I think. And you still hear these things. And we pretend that we don't. And, you know, I think intellectuals are very good at um, tidying up their language. But it doesn't mean that people don't think in exactly the same, very, very uh, black and white terms um, elsewhere in society. And It's uncomfortable writing through characters like that. But I think you have to be able to imagine everybody if you're a writer. So I tried not to flinch from it. And I tried in a way, I think some readers see him as comic. And in a way, that's what I, I meant. He does have genuine affection for his little sister. He loved his sister. His sister was, in a way, somebody he hero worshipped, but then she grew up and she married a black man. And, of course, a kind of jealousy in Dirk, that sort of sibling erotic thing is also at work, I think. He's terribly jealous of these men. And in one of those awful but recognisable ways, he gets used to the first husband, he gets quite fond of Kojo and he manages to forget that he's black and he talks to Kojo about football, which Kojo isn't interested in, but Kojo puts up with him. But when Kojo dies of lung cancer um, and Shirley then lives with another black guy, that's the end for Dirk. Dirk can't extend his liking of Kojo to anyone else. So he's one of these people who says, in effect, some of my best friends are Jewish. He's, he doesn't learn from his real social contacts. He can't get beyond the group to see individual faces and individual people. Shirley, she's not averse to giving her, giving her affections to, to more than one. There's a well, she's way. actually faithful. She's just, just that one husband dies and yeah. you know, but, she wants another then, man. Yes, but um, there's a scene where... She's not a slapper, Shirley. <laughs> no. 
No, but there's a scene where she um, she's I won't give the whole plot away, but she's she thinks that she's come close to death. And yes, she's um, sexual healing. I think that's Shirley's thing, and I see her as she's really the the hopeful thing in the story. She she understands how to give love. She understands too, she's been able to have compassion for her own suffering because she did suffer as a child. And I think because she's understood her own suffering, she doesn't have to pass it on. Whereas Dirk and Darren have neither of them really understood what happened to them. And because they didn't understand in a way, they can't actually live very happy lives. You said that uh, there was a little bit of this, this, Steve, uh, this Stephen Lawrence. Uh, yeah, it was an inspiration. I wanted to ask, why do we actually, every now and again, we live in London. London isn't a bad city. We manage to rub along pretty well together. Um, there are friendships, there are lots of interracial marriages. We're doing pretty well, but every now and again, it seems we have to go and try and kill someone just because they have a different skin color. And I wanted to understand why that is. What makes people hate difference so much when to me difference is exciting and wonderful? Um, why do we do it? So there, there is that question in the novel, but there's a lot of other things in the novel too, I think, and one of them is about love. Um, love in a long marriage, um, love of parents, love of children, and love to me is actually the value that stands against the other things. Is that what you'd like your readers to take away with? Yes, I think so. I think um, both love and suffering link us. And I think the hopeful way forward is through love. And whatever people, people's prejudice, whatever their hatreds, in the end, our society will go forward as a very mixed society and all the richer and the healthier for that. Maggie G talking to me about her novel, The White Family. I'm David Freeman. This is the Author Archive podcast.